welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, well, I am back. This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and we have an all-new show. This is no longer the Spartan Underground Show. This is the OCR Underground Show, and I apologize for the delay. It has been a few weeks since I got our last podcast out, and I've been dying. I've been dying to get this back up, and I've had so much good info, so many great interviews that I've had recorded, and I just have not been able to release yet, so I'm really excited to get things going. Uh, I know some of you probably follow some of the emails that I've been putting out and posts on Facebook and Instagram, but um, we had to change the name of the show. So we are now the OCR Underground Show, no longer the Spartan Underground Show. It's uh, never a good thing when you get a, a, a letter from a lawyer. And I did get a letter from Spartan Race and basically saying, you know, we love what you're doing and we love your passion for helping people train for Spartan Races, but they do need me to change uh, the name of the podcast and the website so I can no longer use Spartan as uh, any part of the show because, and I've, I've never claimed to be affiliated with Spartan other than being an SGX coach and an avid racer. Um, and it is where my passion is, but I do not work for Spartan and do want to make that clear in case anyone was ever misled. But now, you know, it was one of those things I knew it might be an issue when I first started this show and the website. And, you know, I, I really didn't think any much was going to come of it. It was kind of a website and a thing I put together for some of my clients that I thought might help them. And then I just started to pass it on to see if other people might like it. And, you know, we, we started growing and I, I'm kind of taking it as a compliment that we got on Spartan Races Radar, that they noticed us and loved it, but weren't quite happy with the name I chose. So... I'm ready to move on, and we have our all-new show name, the OCR Underground, and we have our new website, OCRunderground.com. It will look familiar. We basically just have a new name, some minor tweaks in there, but I still want to put out the most valuable content I can to help you guys train harder for your Spartan race or any obstacle course race. So yes, we are going to talk about other obstacle course races on here, but I, I do have to admit that Spartan races are my passion, and... I want to heavily focus on that, so that will be most of the the tips and strategies that we talk about, but honestly, anything we talk about on this show is going to be great for any obstacle course race you're doing, right? If you have to run, push yourself, be strong, be powerful, have endurance, get through obstacles, work on grip strength, right? That's, that's a common theme behind many of these obstacle course races, so we will touch on other ones, but again, I want to heavily focus on Spartan race training. And um, when we bring our SGX coaches on, and I'll bring other coaches on as well, they, they train people for a variety of obstacle courses as well. So again, we're going to have lots of great tips for any of your OCR training needs. So again, apologize for the delay, but I am excited to be back. I hope you're excited to listen to some new podcasts because like I mentioned, I have some awesome content coming out. I've been to some really cool workshops and just picking up new tips here and there and implementing it in my own strategy and uh, my own training strategies and with my clients and just seeing some really positive results. So I'm excited to get some more info out to you guys. And I think that's enough rambling. And as always, we have an awesome show for you. And I am going to follow a pretty similar format um, because it seemed to be working really well. So um, I am a little far behind, but in this week's episode, we do have a Spartan race recap. And I have on SGX coach Josh Graves from Fitness on Fire, and he's going to talk about the San Jose race. Yes, it was a couple weeks ago. I apologize, but I'm going to do my best to get a couple more race reviews and catch up as quickly as I can. Uh, we're also going to talk about some awesome research on grip strength and how it relates to rotator cuff function. All right, so two critical things. If you had or ever had a shoulder injury, you're definitely going to want to listen to this uh, this research. Um, and if you're ever struggling with grip strength and maybe failing on some of those grip heavy obstacles like the rig or the new twister, or any of those uh, challenging grip ones, definitely check out this research review. And then finally, I have on SGX coach and registered dietitian Anne LaRue. 
Now, I know Anne's been on a, a bunch of times on the show. We love having her back on. And we had a conversation basically all about nutrition. Obviously, this is her specialty. And there are so many topics to go over with nutrition and so many different theories and philosophies. And honestly, it gets super confusing. So we brought her back on to try and clear up some of these things and, and you know, give some of both of our opinions on these different topics, whether it's high carb, low carb, high fat, low fat, all of these different trends that you're going to see in the, the nutrition and, and performance world. So we dive deep into these topics and really have some great takeaways uh, from it. And she's going to talk about some, some future topics that kind of what she sees trending and what are going to be the big things that we're going to see down the road. So as we get into this week's episode, I do want to mention that our show notes are going to be at the new website. So you are going to find the show notes at www.ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 30. So I'm just going to keep going with um, with our, our podcast count. I guess it's technically episode one of the OCR Underground show. But for the show notes, you're going to find them at episode dash 30. And again, my email is going to be a little bit different. So if you have any questions about any of the topics you hear on this show or want to ask me a question to answer on the show, you can reach me at info at ocrunderground.com. All right, with that being said, let's get to this week's episode. What's going on? This is Josh Graves from Fitness on Fire in Irvine, California. Just tuning in today to give you a race recap of the San Jose Super and Sprint Weekend. So this is my first time running Diablo Grande, and I've heard a lot of stories about how bad the hills were, um, but they were way worse than I expected. Um, what Spartan did right away, right, we come out the gates, we hit a hurdle, and they drop us straight into the rolling mud. The rolling mud is just three dips in, like, waist-high mud and freezing cold water. If you're new to Spartan racing and you haven't actually ran in, like, freezing cold water before, um, what you'll find is that the vasoconstrictor, it actually gets, like, your blood vessels and stuff to actually, like, shrink, and it makes your legs really, really, really hard to keep moving. Once we got out of the rolling mud, they had us run through a little creek, and the creek got it from anywhere from ankle to, like, mid-thigh high, and then right out of there, they took you on the biggest climb of the day. It's just a straight-up, like, half-mountain. Running through the hills for about two miles, at about mile two, you you come up a hill, then the next hill comes, and the next hill comes, you get a little bit of a downhill, one more climb, and then it's the sandbag carry. And the sandbag carry had to be the worst sandbag carry I've ever done. The sandbag carry was straight up, one of the highest climbs of the sandbag carry I've seen. And the sandbags now, they're not the pancakes they used to be for Spartan. Uh, the little round sand bells that are like about 40 pounds for the men and 30 pounds for the ladies. Um, now they're using like a 65 pound actual sandbag. And I think for the ladies, it's got to be somewhere around 50 ish pounds. Um, so a whole different game when you're doing that climb with the sandbag carry. After the sandbag carry, it was pretty much all downhill from there. Um, we went through a little bit more terrain, some steady climbs, then some steady declines. Um, and then other than that, it was pretty much typical Spartan at that point. You get into, like, the flats. We had a Herc hoist, uh, vertical cargo net, nothing really crazy there. And then you come back out by the festival area, and by the festival area, they had us go over an A-frame cargo net, and then the monkey bars were right there in the spectator area. Um, the first day, the monkey bars weren't bad. I'll tell you about the monkey bars on the second day for the sprint. But um, after the monkey bars, you go on to a big flat run for about a mile, two miles. Um, and nothing super new or significant there. When we got into the back half of the race, we're probably talking like mile six, mile seven, uh, we did have a pretty long barbed wire crawl. The barbed wire crawl um, ended up taking us through like some nettle or something like that. So a lot of us that were um, somewhat allergenic about grass ended up with like a little bit of a rash on the shoulders and stuff that ended up burning and screaming a little bit through the rest of the race and the rest of the day. Um, but uh, bucket carry is pretty easy. Bucket carry wasn't bad at all. Bucket carry is pretty short. That's always nice when you have a short bucket carry. If you're not familiar, bucket carry is probably my least favorite obstacle at Spartan, but one of the ones I train for the most because I know it's a weak spot for me. Um, coming back out of the race, I was really looking forward to uh, getting to work on the Twister. Uh, Twister was mentioned in the course map. So if you also are new to Spartan, what you'll find is Spartan has a really interesting sense of humor. And sometimes on eight, running a Spartan race on April Fool's Day is already your first mistake. So um, they put a couple obstacles on the course map that 
it actually didn't show up on the course. So I was a little bit paranoid all the course, thinking I was going to hit the twister. And then we didn't actually get that obstacle. So, um, overall, the Super was a pretty fair race. Um, you saw Olympus. You saw the spear throw. Some of the traditional obstacles, uh, rope climb. Um, so all that stuff was fine. Um, and then the race was actually a different finish. I think they didn't have a permit or something like that for the fire. So there wasn't a fire jump. But the way the race finished is it went spear throw, slip wall, and then dunk wall, and then it was just a sprint to the finish, and that was the super for the first day. So oftentimes what I'll do is on Saturday I'll go out on the course. I won't give it everything I got on the course. I, a lot of times I'll go out with my athletes or just go out on the course for the sheer the sheer practice of it. Um, if you have an annual pass or if you're thinking about getting an annual pass, I think it's one of the best ways for you to get familiar with the obstacles and really, really get to know the game of Spartan. But uh, Sunday was a chance for me to really, really, really chase one of my goals, which um, this year is about a top 10 finish. So Sunday went out for the race, gave it everything I had in the men's elite, and the course was really interesting the way they had that set up. They actually cut the mountains out of the course on Sunday for the sprint, and it was just uh, kind of the back half of the race, but still a really interesting start to the race. So came out the gates running, um, and within 100 yards, we had that same hurdle, about a five-foot hurdle, and there's a huge bottleneck there. All the men's elites sprinted to the hurdle, got stuck at the hurdle, um, and I ended up trying to fight for a spot on the hurdle. Ended up in like 50th place or something like that, getting out of the hurdle. I was a little bit frustrated there. Um, Right out of the hurdle, they dipped us in the rolling mud again, so you had the three mud dips. They took us through the same creek and instead of taking us uphill they actually just banked us right back around right back to the obstacles so for the obstacles the first couple obstacles we saw we saw the a-frame cargo net and then right after the a-frame cargo net we had the monkey bars so I was probably about 50th getting to the monkey bars and when I got to the monkey bars I saw about 30 of the men's elite doing burpees already and that was just crazy to me I've never seen them get people on the monkey bars like this uh, so mind you when you run the men's elite at 7 30 in the morning it's probably early low 40 degrees in temperature. Um, They just dumped you in the mud and then they dumped you through a little creek and then they put you on these fat, thick, slippery monkey bars that are caked in mud, right? So at this point, um, it took everything I had in my biceps to really try to flex out. I took the monkey bars actually sideways, two arms flexed, and I was able to get through the monkey bars. So I probably climbed about 20, 30 places right there being able to get through the monkey bars. After the monkey bars, there was just a flat run for about a mile and a half. And then we came to a couple walls. You've got the plate drag. And then you run into the hills a little bit. And you come up to a barbed wire crawl. Again, the barbed wire crawl is the same barbed wire crawl from the first day. So, yes, my shoulders got aggravated again with the nettle or whatever it was on the ground there. Right after the barbed wire crawl, you head straight uphill. And then you've got the multi-rig. The multi-rig for this Spartan race this whole weekend, both the Super and the Sprint, was just rings, so they didn't add the ball grips or the rope grips or the actual bar. It was just rings. So a lot of the men's elite were getting through that. Not, no problem there. Right after the multi-rig, it was just a downhill run for a while. A couple over walls. They had, like, some hurdles you had to step over. Uh, the rope climb showed up. You had the Atlas Stones and all that stuff. So all this stuff seemed to be okay, running pretty hard to the finish. You come up to Olympus. Olympus is one of my new favorite obstacles. It's like a 45-degree angle wall that has a combination of chains, rock climbing holds, and holes in the wall that you can grab onto. You're not supposed to let your feet touch the ground, and you're not supposed to grab the top of the wall. You have to use those holds that they give you. So basically, the strategy I use for this is I lean back. I support my body weight by the hold and by pushing my feet into the wall. We call it a cat hang. And then from there, I shift my body weight side to side as I use the chain. So I reach for the chain, shift my body weight over, and then bring my back hand to a hole. And then same thing, repeat the process. Reach for a chain, switch my body weight over and then reach for a hole so get through olympus i'm figuring at this point i've got to be at about 20 21st place again with the goal of a top 10 finish for me so i come up i see the spear throw and there's got to be over 13 to 15 dudes doing burpees here and i thought to myself this is the moment this is my chance right here the race is in sight hit the spear throw sprint to the finish and dude i didn't even focus on the spear throw i missed the spear throw i uh, ended up throwing the spear kind of tail dived it and ended up having to pay my burpees 30 burpees later slip wall 
dunk wall, finished 25th place overall this weekend. Not the performance I was hoping for, but felt good overall with my run. Um, the course was fair. The course was fun. A little bit disappointed in Spartan that we didn't have the actual twister this weekend. That was something I really wanted to see. And also for the men's elite, I'm I'm a little bit bored with the rings. I hope that we can uh, bring the multi-rig back to life and really put some challenge in there for the elite athletes. This weekend's race was really a trail runner's dream. The obstacles were few and far between. It gave you a chance to really, really work on your mountain game. You had to be able to climb well and you had to be able to descend well and just try to keep a consistent pace. If you're looking for like a training advantage and what you're doing with your actual workouts to get ready for a Spartan race, I would absolutely recommend going out in the mountains and doing some type of climbing. Get into the terrain and get on some incline. If you don't have a lot of local mountains, maybe look at getting like an incline treadmill where you can uh, work on 20 to 30 degree inclines and start wrecking yourself on the incline and then practicing your strength, then practice your body weight exercise, then practicing your obstacles. It's a whole different game when you're cold, when you're muddy, when the hills beat you up, and then you have to go climb monkey bars, ropes, multi-rigs, and so on and so forth. Shout out to my buddy Chuck Hewitt for finishing first in the men's elite on Sunday. He's a training buddy of mine, and this dude is fast. He's been pushing me a lot, and it was really, really cool to see the mind of a champion come to life and get that W on Sunday. So there you have it. That's my recap of the San Jose Super and Sprint Weekend. If you're yet to do a Spartan race, just Spartan up, sign up for one, and do it. Every race is going to be a little bit different and have its own unique challenges, whether it be sand, mountains, cold, hot. It doesn't matter. The terrain's always going to be a challenge for you, so get out and train outdoors and get that practice under your belt. Again, my name's Josh Graves. I'm the owner of Fitness on Fire in Irvine, California. We are a Spartan-specific training facility, so you can find us in Irvine. Um, you can find us online at www.fitnessonfireoc.com. You can also find us on all types of social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all the above. Hopefully, we can help you with your next Spartan race, or I'll at least see you on the course. All right, in this week's research review, I want to talk about grip strength. And obviously, grip strength is going to be a critical part of your training program, but I want to talk about grip strength and how it relates to shoulder function. And before I get into that, you may have heard before, but grip strength is one of those things that it's just incredibly important, not just for performance, but just for overall health. And they're actually using grip strength as a predictor for a ton of different things, uh, you know, such as muscular endurance and overall strength, but also things like mortality, disability, stroke, and other signs of just overall health and function. So it's kind of cool how they're using grip strength to predict some other disability and, and diseases. So... Um, but for our obstacle course racing, it's obviously going to be critical that we have a strong grip. Uh, but we want to look at its significance with the shoulder. And the cool thing here is anytime you grip something, your rotator cuff muscles automatically engage. So it's part of your nervous system or nervous system response, basically. When you grab something, especially if it's heavy and grab it hard, that's a signal to your brain that, hey, this is a heavy object I'm about to lift. I need to stabilize my shoulder to protect myself so I can carry this load. So as an automatic response, when you grip something heavy or grip it hard, your rotator cuff muscles activate, which is pretty cool. So just by doing simple grip training exercises, you are doing rotator cuff exercises as well. Um, but I want to talk about a couple studies. Um, the first one from the Journal of Shoulder and Elbow in 2016 they wanted to look at uh, changes in grip strength and rotator cuff, fun cuff function. And what they did here was they took 27 subjects with no shoulder pain. They measured their hand grip at different positions, and then they measured their uh, rotator cuff strength at those positions. And they found a very strong correlation between grip strength and rotator cuff strength at all positions. All right, so just kind of a quick um, overall uh, summary of what we've been saying that if you have a stronger grip, your rotator cuff is going to be stronger, which means your shoulder stability is going to be better. So you're going to be able to better hang handle some of these maybe hanging obstacles that's putting the shoulder under a lot of, a lot of load. Um, so it, it kind of leads to the question, though, does a weak rotator cuff then lead to poor grip strength or is it the other way around? And there's another study I wanted to bring up from the Journal of Hand Surgery. I know that might sound kind of weird, but this was back in 2014, and they actually wanted to look at this question. 
And uh, the title of this study was The Prevalence of Rotator Cuff Weakness in Patients with Injured Hands. So kind of exactly says what they were doing here. And they took 57 patients, all with unilateral hand injuries or some type of disorder. And then they measured the rotator cuff strength on both sides, so on the injured side and the non-injured side. And they found a statistically significant difference or decrease in rotator cuff strength in the grip of the arm that was injured. And uh, just as a side note, they also found that in younger patients and those that had suffered injuries to their non-dominant hand uh, were uh, more affected by this decrease. All right, so this shows here that if you have an injury to the hand, so hence you're not doing as much with that hand, so your grip strength is going to weaken, which is going to tra transfer right up the arm to the shoulder, leading to rotator cuff weakness as well. So pretty interesting there. And then I just want to mention one other study, just again kind of showing the significance here. Um, and this was showing the correlation between hand grip strength and shoulder power in cricket players. I know, kind of weird, I'm talking about cricket here, but apparently, and I didn't know this, but rotator cuff is one of the most, uh, rotator cuff injuries is one of the most common injuries in cricket players, um, which makes sense because it is going to be similar to, to baseball. Um, and just to summarize this study, basically what they did was measure shoulder power, measure grip strength, and they found that here again there was a strong positive correlation. So those that had the best grip strength had the best shoulder power. All right, so it just shows kind of these three studies. Our takeaway points are that, one, obviously rotator cuff training and grip work is going to be just an integral part of your training program, and hopefully you're absolutely already doing these things. Grip strength is probably something that most people are already doing, but I think we might be underestimating the importance of rotator cuff training. So anytime you are doing some type of grip work, lifting something heavy, maybe some farmer's walks or anything like that, you are getting some rotator cuff work in there for sure. But if we're really working on injury prevention and enhancing our performance on some of these grip dominant obstacles or um, hanging obstacles, we definitely want to make sure we're hitting it from both ends. So you're doing your grip work, but you're also doing significant rotator cuff training. Um, so in the show notes of this episode, you're going to see uh, a couple links that I posted for a few of my favorite rotator cuff training. So again, any grip work, so farmer's carry is a big one. Um, is going to be doing grip uh, grip and shoulder training, but we have a couple direct rotator cuff exercises that I would highly recommend. It's something that you definitely want to hit this head on because not only is it going to protect that shoulder, but it may actually enhance your grip strength as well. So I usually like throwing this in probably at the start of your workout to get some direct rotator cuff work in there. If you have some stiffness in your shoulder, I would absolutely start with some type of maybe myofascial release, hitting the foam roller in that shoulder and lats. Um, maybe even a lacrosse ball if you can handle that. So just getting some mobility in there, some stretching, and then immediately after start strengthening that new range of motion that you're getting when you've uh, stretched it and, and rolled it out a little bit. And then one final thing I wanted to mention with the whole grip strength and rotator cuff strength scenario is make sure your shoulder is in optimal position because if it's not, that means your rotator cuff isn't going to be strong. It's not going to be able to stabilize your shoulder properly, and you're more likely to get hurt, but that's going to transfer right down the arm to the hand, meaning your grip strength is going to be weaker. So always making sure you keep optimal shoulder position. Now, that's kind of hard to explain on the podcast, but essentially think about your posture, right? If you're rounding your shoulders forward all the time and, and the head of that, the arm, the humerus is being pushed forward, that rotator cuff just can't do its job properly. So always working on improving your posture, make sure those shoulders are staying back in the position that they should. So back and down, and that is going to improve that rotator cuff strength, but it's going to allow you to maintain better grip strength, right? So just a, an easy example that you might be able to relate to. If you are uh, doing like a dead hang, right? You're hanging from a pull-up bar, maybe in the race or maybe just during your workout, and you completely relax your shoulder, it's going to pull away from the socket a little bit and stretch out your rotator cuff and not allow it to stay tight. That one is just going to beat up your shoulder and, and you're going to you're basically asking for some type of injury there. But two, you're going to notice your grip is going to get weaker and weaker, right? So instead, you're going to pull yourself up without bending your elbows, just kind of lengthening your neck so your shoulders are pulled down um, 
pulling your scapula down towards your, your hips, if that makes sense. And keeping that position, one, your shoulder is way more stable, way more stable. It's protecting itself. And then you're going to notice your grip strength gets so much stronger with that. All right. So don't forget to check out the show notes. See some of my favorite uh, rotator cuff training exercises and throw them into your workout and see if it actually, one, helps that shoulder out and two, increase your grip strength. I have on a, a familiar voice that you're probably going to remember. She's been on quite a few times, but we have our favorite Spartan SGX coach and registered dietitian, Coach Anne LaRue. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. And thank you for calling me your favorite. I'm, <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> well, I also have to say you're our only Spartan diet, registered dietitian that we've had on here. Hey, but that's still okay. I'll take it. Hope to still be the only one. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, You've been doing a great job coming on here and uh, giving some recaps and, and diving into a little bit more detailed on some of your articles that you've written for Spartan.com, which has been awesome. And I know you've been busy learning more and and uh, we've been talking on the side. So I thought it, this would be a great opportunity to kind of go over some things and have a little conversation. And we might as well record it for everybody else on on some different topics with nutrition, because um, whether it's for for performance, for lifestyle, for what just living a healthier lifestyle, nutrition's a confusing topic. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even myself as a professional doing this for many years now, um, I just recently went to a three-day conference down in North Carolina. And although it was wonderful, every session that I was sitting in was reminding me that, wow, if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, it can completely confuse them. And people would ask questions to whichever speaker was presenting, and really almost every single question that they would ask could be answered with the phrase of, well, it depends on the person, their current status, and what their goals are. Absolutely. And I, th I think a lot of people don't like when they hear it depends, but it's so true right. because um, we just don't know. And uh, when I go through these podcasts, I, I do want to be careful because... I obviously have my personal beliefs and things that happen to work well for me or some clients that I work with. And, you know, I, I dig into those things to make sure there's solid research behind them and there's justification in it. But I don't want to just go around recommending that, hey, you should do this exact thing, whether it's training or nutrition. I just like presenting information out there. And I know that's good and bad because it, it just hopefully opens people's eyes to lots of different things out there. But the other on the other hand is, I might be providing too much information and there's more confusion with that. So the more information you have, the more options you have. And sometimes that's going to make this more difficult. So I thought this would be great to have you on here to help, hopefully help clear things up for people to like get them started at least or, or figure out what would be the best path for them. Right. Yeah. So, so let's talk maybe just a, a, a few things here. So I know one, one common trend topic, whatever you want to call it, that we see are like fat for fueling or carb for fueling. And even on this, this, ep uh, or on this podcast, I've talked about both where sometimes carb is helpful and sometimes fats helpful. And when you hear that, you might think, well, what is it? And what, what should I do? So what are some things that we should consider with that? Oh, this is so exciting because this is so right in the forefront of my mind right now. Uh, one of the things, and this could be a really cool topic for a later podcast is I'm actually going to be having a test done as far as my metabolic efficiency using indirect calorimetry, where they actually put me on a treadmill, put me, you know, the mask on me and actually find out for my body, when is the exact point where my body stops burning carbohydrates and starts burning fuel? And at what heart rate is that? What speed is that? And so I just actually set that up today to go down next month and have a test done, an initial test then we'll develop a plan based on that. And then I can choose another set point where I can have that done again. Awesome. So I, that's I actually, sorry to interrupt, but I, I had that yeah. done. Um, it, so it is pretty awesome it, when you can. Get is it, so, you had it done? I oh, had, I'm so excited. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really cool how specific it gets. So it's so cool for whether it is, you know, nutrition or training to see like what intensities and, and your exact heart rate that you should be doing, you know, whatever type of training you might be doing, whether it's a low intensity yeah. run or a high intensity 
where, you know, you can use estimations and that's a great starting point. But when you know, it's like, you know what? My lactate threshold is at this beats per minute. It's pretty cool because it's, I know what I have to get up to. Yeah. So right. And that's that. what it, that's really what it's all about is what is your baseline and what are you aiming for and what do you hope to get up to? And whether you actually have specific testing done or not, that, I mean, that's completely up to you and, and how focused you want to be. I mean, sometimes for me as a dietitian, I want to know like the numbers and the data. And I love these little experiments that I can run on myself. But really, I think when it comes down to it is that on some level, you have to know whether that means you have to know and be in tune with your body and how well you do performance wise and training wise when you're eating poorly, when you're eating well, just being in tune with yourself and saying, okay, how did I feel going into this workout and coming out of it? And if I felt great, what did I do in the last few days? If I do that again, do I have the same result? And whatever that is, high carb, low fat, low carb, high fat, what is that? Um, but really, the the whole controversy around carbs and fat and which is the best for fuel, both pre and post, and as far as overall intake, there is a lot of science emerging. One of the things that was I was learning from one of the talks that I went to the other day is there there has been historically a lot of history around using carbohydrates for fuel versus fats and that that's the most readily available source and that's what we should be doing and not to discredit that at all but that we're doing a lot more research these days because if we think about the world of sports especially endurance sports look how far it's come should it be surprising to us that they're doing a lot more research as far as fueling and so the technology and the studies that we're doing around that, the people that are willing to participate and the people that are interested, we're coming up with a whole new body that isn't necessarily saying that carbs over fats is wrong, but identifying that it's not for everybody and that there are a good amount of people that can fuel better in the opposite, fueling more off of fats and some people just innately do that, but that with specific training study, you know, these, these studies where you go and have those tests done are able to show that, yes, you now perform better on this ratio of macronutrients than you did the other. And again, we could go down to the certain macronutrients and say, you were getting this many grams of carbons and fat, and now you're getting this many, or it really could be, this is why it's so hard with humans, is it really could be about the foods that they chose to be eating, right? So before, when they were primarily fueling with carbs and less fats, their carb choices were cruddy, right? They were donuts and cookies and not that bagels are bad, but more of those processed white carbs and less with fruits and good vegetables and then so they were eating less fats. And when they finally focused on, okay, maybe I should change my diet and do more fats versus carbs, that's when they were finally on board with it. The food choices they were eating were better. They were less processed. They were more healthy. And maybe it's that combination that also helped them. There are just so many different variables. It really comes down to like what you said is you've got to find out what works for you. If I switch to fueling with fats versus carbs and I just feel like crap, you know, is that really going to help me in the long run? You know, give it some time and do it right. Get get somebody that can help you choose the right sources of that. But if really I don't see a improvement in my performance, I don't like the foods that I'm eating, I'm not happy, then what is, and especially if I, you know, if my health markers, you know, if, if I'm gaining weight and it's not a healthy weight to be gaining, then really what are the benefits? Yeah, and, and I think... Um... What, what that just made me think of, too, is, uh, I mean, I love physiology. That might sound really weird, but um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned on this podcast, but I actually teach exercise physiology at a community college in San Diego, and I just do it on the side. It's just something I really enjoy. I love learning, and I love, I, that's why I got into fitness, because I think it's so cool, all the things the body can do, and it's, yeah. it's just an amazing thing. And one thing we sometimes forget is our body adapts, and it adapts to whatever stressor you put on it so if you run a lot your body gets stressed out from running and then it all of a sudden gets better at handling it and hence you become better at running and it's same with nutrition where if you eat 
more carbohydrates and obviously to a point if you gorge and eat lots and lots of carbs that it, it's going to turn into a bad thing but if you do eat a, a little bit of a higher carb diet and again focusing on good carbohydrates your body gets really good at metabolizing those carbohydrates and using them as energy if you decrease those carbohydrates and eat a little bit more fat now your body's going to get used to that because it's you know an incredible thing and it knows how to handle that now it becomes a better fat metab metabolizer and Again, I don't always think it's a right versus wrong, kind of how we, we were talking earlier about that. And it's what does your body seem to adapt better to? And that's why you can have somebody who they swear by carbohydrates. Like I'm one person, for example, I can eat a lot of carbs. I feel good and I'm, I'm, I can perform well on carbohydrates. I've messed around a little bit with a higher fat diet and it doesn't always work as well for me. So I stick tend to stick to the higher carbohydrates at least for for training if it's for performance something like that um, but I know a lot of people who do the high fat diet and they love that and they swear by it and they perform really well on that so sometimes we get defensive and want to say well no you should do it like I do when in mm -hmm. fact it's no you should do it how your body wants to do it best and play around with it and find what's going to work best for you absolutely you bring up a great point about adaptability I think it's one of the it's a, an awesome part about ourselves as human beings that we're so adaptable, but at the same time, it can be such a crutch, right? Because, because our bodies are so adaptable, sometimes they adapt and we don't even realize that they've adapted. And all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like the people who say, all of a sudden, I realized that over the years I had gained 15 pounds and I didn't even really realize it, but we just adapt to the day to day, day in, day out, our bodies kind of get used to stuff. And it's kind of like with people with when they start eating better and they start feeling better and all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're doing really well for a few months and then they have an off day and they're like, Oh my God, I felt it years ago. You may have eaten that way every day and not even noticed it because your body's adapted to eating more nutritious foods. You don't really, you don't even realize how good that feels because you, you kind of, you know, gained that over the days into weeks, into months. And it didn't even, you didn't even realize how, good you felt until you didn't feel that way anymore right so you just want it you just want it back so the adaptability is awesome but it can also mean that we don't recognize you know what really is or is not working because it's it's kind of blinded so it's interesting yeah but, and i didn't go ahead uh, and i was going to say and sometimes the opposite too where people don't realize how bad they feel until they oh, yeah. start exercising or clean up their diet a little bit. And they're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize I was so fatigued. I was right. so this, so that. And um, so, no, it's just funny. Yeah. And, you know, I, you brought up another really good point when you were talking about, um, you know, you kind of mentioned about what, what things can you be doing long term and what you can. And if you feel really crappy and you look at the foods that you're eating or what you're trying to get yourself to eat every day and for one thing, if your performance isn't doing well, you already recognize that and you don't like it. But then at the same time, if you really are disliking the foods that you're eating and you ask yourself, could I do this long term? And the answer is no, then that's not necessarily appropriate. And even one of the talks that I was recently at, one of the great things that they were pointing out was even if you're on a plan, you, you know, you're where we where we lack in the nutrition piece or where people seem to lack in their nutrition plans is if we think about it, people do really well at planning out their training, right? They're like, okay, I have these races, so I'm going to start training on this at this point in time, and then I'm going to work more on speed and then on this. And so they, they map out their whole year. They map out day to day. They have their weekly or monthly planner of their workouts, but they fail to do the same thing with their nutrition, right? So if there's a higher need for if you're going to have a more intense workout or if you're going to have a long, slow grind or if you're going to be doing more um, strength-based, you recognize that, right? And you plan out your week based on, okay, well, I had a really a really intense interval workout tomorrow, so I'm not going to back that up with another intense one the next day. I might give a day in between or, you know, you'll, you're going to do that, but people don't look as closely at their nutrition and say, okay, this was a really intense day where I'm going to need that power output. So I'm going to need some more carbohydrates for the quick fuel versus on my long, slow grind days. Maybe I want to be more efficient and be burning more fats for, for fuel. And I won't be at those high intensities. So I'm going to lower my carb intake around that day. You know, people aren't there yet where they're looking at it that closely. 
I think there's major advantages to doing that. I know that's one thing that I'm really focusing on this year is is pinpointing that that nutrition component with the training, which granted I've done in the past, but I'm trying to step it up a notch because I, I think it's a it's like a secret weapon. Yeah. yeah <laughs> in my mind, I, I think it's a secret weapon. I really do. Everybody kind of goes without thinking or talking too much about it. If you're secretly like behind the scenes, really focusing in and pinpointing it, then that's a secret weapon you can pull out when everybody else is, you know, crashing at mile eight and you're like, I feel great, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, 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 I'm actually really glad that you brought up that point and I'll have to give my, myself a pat on the back too, because I feel like that is something I'm working really hard in and it, you know, it's a lot of trial and error because I'm still trying to figure out what works best for me, but we get stuck sometimes that we feel like every day has to be the same thing. You know, some people are kind of stuck with their workouts that way where they feel like all they do is run or all they do is lift and they have their one thing and they don't, they don't vary it up enough and um, improve performance that way. Same with nutrition. If, if you, you don't have to follow a specific diet, if you want to call it that the same every single day, because you're not the same you're not going to be the same active. You're not going to have the same goals every day. Like if you're completely, let's say it's a day you're going to be, I, I think um, one of the uh, uh, podcast episodes uh, uh, from a while back, you were talking about traveling and it's like, do you need, you're talking about, you're going to be sitting all day potentially. Should you think about cutting back your meals or not? You know, Maybe you got up early and, and then you're going to be up late. Do you really want to add another meal when you've been sitting there all day? So your diet will change on something like that. Or you're going to be right. doing a super long run, or you're going to be doing some intervals. So you play around. Some days might be a high a high carb day because I want as much energy to to hit those hills or or hit the weights or whatever it might be. But other days it's like no, I want to maybe increase my fat intake. So I don't have to live and die by one diet. I'm going to take the best of all of them and see if I can mash them all together. Right, right, and and not only do you not have to follow the same approach all the time like you said you really you really shouldn't because your energy needs wax and wane as should you know your energy expenditure comes and goes up and down all week so your you know your nutrition should really kind of match match that as much as it can because what are we all trying to do we're trying to have better performance but it's also an advantage to reduce our body fat right if we're if we're lighter and we can run faster because of it you know so if we're if you're eating the same amount every day, but your activity is different, then there's a potential that you could could even be either maintaining or gaining weight that you don't necessarily want. And it could be that adjustment. If, if for nothing else, that adjustment just could mean that you lean out just a few pounds and maybe that's what gives you that edge, you know? Yeah. So many, so many different pieces, so many different benefits. And again, there's no perfect answer that's going to fit all of us but that's kind of the great thing about it is that what works for somebody else if it if what worked for somebody else had to work for me and I really didn't like it boy that would be pretty sad right yeah, so yeah. We, we get frustrated when there's so many and it's confusing but at the same, same time that's a godsend because if we all had to follow that I mean ugh. yeah yeah exactly so let's let's finish this up with talking about like practicality so now, you know, hopefully this whole conversation was pretty practical, but what do you think are some steps people should take initially when they hear all this information? Like, I mean, what should they do first? Just pick something and try it? Or what would you recommend? Uh, what I would recommend is really f- first start with asking yourself some questions like what what are my goals? Do you know, and what is most important right now? Like some, is your goal weight loss? Is your goal improved performance? Is your goal just to eat more nutritiously? You're just feeling like you probably don't eat right. Well, then if, if you're just feeling like, you know what, I really don't think I eat all that great. Well, let's focus there because trying to focus on eating all the right foods plus trying to lose weight, plus trying to gain better performance, the, the odds of all those being able to happen without you getting overwhelmed it is very slim. But if you just prioritize, right, just when you think about your schedule of your races for the year, so you kind of prioritize, what do I need to work on first? Okay, so I need to work more on building a base of endurance, then I'm going to build in some speed work, then I'll build in my obstacle proficiency. Okay, so let's do the same thing with diet. Write a prioritized list of what you want 
first? What's most important to you? And then how does that, what does that then line up for you to do? Because I think when you prioritize what's important, then you can identify, okay, well, what do I need to learn in order to do that? Then you need to find out for yourself, okay, how, what's the best way that, that I learn? Is it going to be going to somebody, an SGX coach, a dietitian, somebody and learning from them and just, you know, fielding it out to somebody who has the knowledge and I can trust it? Or do I do better just reading on my own and I like to do that, um, you know, find out what method works for you and then go for it. But people make the most mistakes when they just try to do too much too soon and they don't take it in slow in slow steps. So that's what I would say is prioritize your nutrition in the same way you would your training, your physical training. Identify what your resource is going to be to getting that knowledge and then build from there. Once you have that down, what was the next item on your priority list and start working on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's perfect. I know people will struggle with that because they want everything and they want it right now. And unfortunately it just doesn't work very well that way. So just finding what's the one thing you can improve right now, or you'd like to improve what are all the different methods and then, and focusing on that. And then um, like we mentioned also making sure whatever path you do take is something you is it's a sustainable where it's not going to be something, you know, starving yourself or something crazy that you just know there's no realistic way you're going to be able to do it. And a lot of times this is, this is the one that I can say that I hear the most. And this is my most often the answer that I give. People will say these two things that they want to, I want to lose weight, but then I also, I want to be able to do a trifecta and I've never done one before. Okay. So you want to lose weight. And so I already know in your mind that you're thinking, increase activity and decrease calories. Um, but you also want to attempt a trifecta, which you've never done. So that's going to be challenging for you. And so really in that case, I tell them, you know what? It is April. You want to complete a trifecta. How about we do this? How about we focus on fueling you right so that you can get through your workouts and, and really just focus on building your performance to do good in these races and if weight loss happens as a result of the fact that you're increasing your training, great. But let's not even think about weight loss right now. It will, I mean, if you increase your training and your intensity and your output, you're going to lose some weight unless you're just completely eating the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But then I say, after you've finished your race season, then let's focus on weight loss because you don't want to lose weight during race season. You want to lose it. You want to try to lose it in the off season because people's ability to reduce to lose weight and improve performance at once is you're kind of working in opposite directions. Yeah. So, so work to improve your performance and get through your race season. And then when you're in the off season, end of year, then, then focus on shedding a few pounds. Perfect. Yeah. And cause people forget, it's not just fat you're losing when you lose weight, you're, you're right. you might be losing some lean muscle tissue or, or water, you know, all those things that are going to help you with performance. So right. definitely, yeah. Prioritize and then hit that goal, whatever, whatever you do select. Awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, before we go, I know you mentioned that you've been going to a lot of workshops and, and learning a ton of new things, but I thought maybe mm-hmm. I would kind of ask you, maybe uh, if you can give us a little teaser, like what's one hot topic or one thing that, that caught your attention that maybe we can get you back on here and, and talk about in the near future? Oh, sure. I'll tell you one thing that the science is emerging immensely in so many different areas is our second brain, which is the gut. Right. There, there is so much science coming out around the fact that basically everything that's going on for people, whether it be diabetes, obesity, um, depression, anorexia nervosa, all of these things could be linked to the microbiome, the bacteria that we have in our stomach. And they're actually being able to tease out certain strains that are causing these diagnoses. So for example, when they take two mice that live in a completely sterile environment and they are able to take the bacteria from an obese mouse and put it into an, um, an average weight mouse, the average weight mouse then became obese. And then vice versa, when they put the, the average size mouse, um, bacteria into the obese mouse, it then lost weight. So really looking to see is it, you know, 
yes, it's it, part of it's calories in, calories out. Part of it is the food you're eating, but part of it could really be the bacteria living in your living in your gut. And that also links to all of this stuff on probiotics that you could be taking a probiotic that does not even work with your bacteria in your body because what's in my body for bacteria could be different than the person sitting next to me. And so one probiotic would work for me and not for the other person. So that is going to be a really different emerging topic um, that's coming out. And it's actually partially one of the blogs that I'm working on right now for Spartan.com. So there's going to be a lot coming around in that microbiome. The human microbiome project is huge. Awesome. Yeah, no, that, that definitely is a, a hot topic now. So that'll be great to hear a little bit more info and, and some, again, some things that we can learn from, from the new science that's coming out there. So, yeah. um, but awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. I know, or I hope that this is incredibly helpful for our listeners, but uh, I, I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I know that uh, me, you, and all of the awesome people that you've had on, all we want to do is help people. And if we're confusing people at the same time, you know, then that's working against our message. So whatever we can do to help. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for episode 30 of the new and improved OCR Underground. And again, thank you so much for all the support I've gotten going through this little change. Uh, It feels so good to be back. And I'm really excited to get some of this great content out to you guys because I'm Honestly, I'm just here to help, and I'm hoping this info is helping you guys train a little bit smarter, uh, helping you get a little bit more confident for your races, and just staying injury-free and and having fun out there. So I'm going to keep putting these podcasts out, and and again, I'd love the support. Please review us on iTunes, or just shoot me an email. Again, the new email is info at ocrunderground.com. I would love to hear from you. If you want to check out the show notes from this episode, you can go to ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 30. And again, I want to give a huge thank you to SGX coach Josh Graves. Always has amazing energy and wanted to thank him for his great recap of the San Jose Super and Sprint. So that's Josh Graves from fitness on fire and then of course coach Anne LaRue for coming on and having our little conversation on different fueling types fat and carbs and helping plan for your race and and again just experiment and play play around with what works best for your body but if nothing else just being aware of the food that you're putting in your body all right guys well that's it and I will see you guys next time